If you will turn over to your Bibles to 1 Samuel, chapter 26, 1 Samuel, and the 26th chapter. If you were up on Facebook and saw this, then this is redundant for you. But if you go through an identical test as you did not long ago, anybody ever felt like you've been through the same test twice? Maybe more times? seems like I already did this test. How come I'm going through it again? If you go through an identical test that you just did not too long ago, does it mean you failed the test? If you didn't go through it again, does it mean you passed? Or that you even did a great job? So we see here that David goes through the same test he just went through. Why was it necessary that he go through the same test another time? Did he do as well the second time as he did in the first time? Did he do better? How can we tell about these things? So, First Samuel, the 26th chapter. Let's begin at verse 1. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakilah, opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul encamped in the hill of Hakilah, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. Now these Ziphites, it never seems we hear about Ziphites until they're squealing on somebody. It seems to be the only time they get their their mention is, is when they're telling, hey, David's over here. So you have to wonder, what is a Ziphite? And there is not a whole lot of information on these guys, except that they squealed on David two different times. But the only time they show up in the Word, we know they live in the wilderness of Ziph. For some reason, they decide, they decide to side with Saul on these things. But here they are giving David away again. Now it's not just, it's not all of them. It's a small number of them. But boy, a small number of people can give a whole group a bad name, can't they? <clears throat> now, I would think that with all this betrayal going on, that David has faced in just these couple of chapters. He's been squealed on. People he defended were going to turn him over. All the different things that had gone on just in this way. He just keeps being betrayed, and he keeps trying to be honorable. It's very difficult, I'm sure many of you have faced this, to remain honorable when people around you act in dishonor. And generally, we feel better in our flesh if I come down to their level and dishonor them and act in in dishonor. But God doesn't want us to do that. Now, many Christians do, and many Christians will continue to. But it does not mean that that's how we're supposed to act or what we're supposed to do. So David comes to a place where Saul was and he decides he needs to get closer. Now, if you've got a guy who's chasing all over the wilderness for you and you find out he found out you're here and he's come with his 3,000 men and he's getting close to you, how many of you want to get closer? No, we want to get away. We're trying to find a place to hide, get away from. He still only has 600 men. David therefore sent out Spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose 
and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. And then, then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So he's got a volunteer. Now this, uh, one of the things that these kings would do, one of the things that Saul learned from other kings in the area, because he's the first king of Israel. So whatever he does sets precedence. What they would do with their spear, the king had a spear. And he would take that spear, these kings would take the spear, <clears throat> the spear, and they would sharpen the back end. And they would use the back end to drive it into the ground where they slept at nighttime. And this would mark where the king was. So the rest of the men knew where he was and knew where they had to defend. David knows this. And so he comes looking for Saul. He's looking for his spear. He's not going to see the jug, but he's looking for the spear. When he sees the spear out there in the center, that's where we have to get to. So not only is David looking for Saul, he was going to sneak into the camp with sleeping soldiers all around, tiptoe past them, and get up right next to where Saul is. Anybody else want to do that? Yeah, I don't think... I don't think so. But he asked a volunteer, but when he does, he only asked two people. Now, how much pressure are you under if you are one of the two people? David comes to you, one, two. We got a lot of good guys in the army. They, they list them. I mean, there's a lot of good guys he's got in the army. He comes to two. Um, I need a volunteer. In other words, what he's saying is this. <clears throat> Which one of you is going? And it doesn't seem like Abishai hesitates. He says, I'll go. He's ready. It's a dangerous mission. They know what they're doing. They know if they get caught, they're going to be killed. I'll go. I will go down with you. Now, there's a reason he probably only asked two people. When he went before, Saul came to him in the cave, and there was a bunch of other people around, and so there's a certain group of them, or a certain individual, one of his higher-ups, who said to him, kill him. He doesn't want to bring him. So he leaves him out of the group. So what this probably tells us is that these two were not in the group who said, kill Saul when they found them in the cave. So David comes to these guys. He's got a mission. He's got a purpose. Just ask the two. Now, Abishai, how many of you are not familiar with Abishai? Don't know who Abishai is. All right. We'll go over just a little bit of you. Who this is? He's one of the three sons of Zeruiah. The three sons were Joab, who was the commander of the army, Abishai, and Asahel. How many have never heard of Asahel? Yeah, he's not mentioned quite as much. I like Asahel. In fact, he's probably one of my favorites of all these guys. 
And I'll tell you why. Now, he, he's a runner. That's, that's why I like him. Now, he and I are completely different runners. He's fast. I mean, he is really fast. He may not be able to run far. I don't know. He might be able to run far. But he is fast. There are some people who just, they can run fast. They, they can just really go fast. And then some people, they don't run real fast, but they run far. If you look at any of the people, how many, anybody ever watched the marathon? All right, you all have a life. Yeah, it's gotta be the most boring thing in the world. Why in the world would you go and watch a bunch of people run 26.2 miles? I mean, you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs for two and a half hours. I don't know why they would do it. But, um, way back when I was in, in cross country, and you know, the, you, you take a look at the guys who were there, and everything was amateur. There were no professional people doing these things at all. Other sports, they were more professional, but not in the running. Nobody got paid. So whatever you did, you did on your own. And there was a guy that was uh, known as Bill Rogers. That's his name. Bill. Ro- Anybody ever heard of Bill Rogers? Probably the only reason you would ever hear about him is if I told you. But I, I so enjoyed Bill Rogers. He was the guy who won New York Marathon and the Boston Marathon four years in a row. Nobody could touch him, it seemed. And he did it all for free. And I think towards the end, he finally got a shoe deal. And I think, if I remember right, it was around three to $5,000 for the year. That was, that was big money. Of course, that's better than no money. And so he came out with a, a line, Bill Rogers stuff. Of course, I got it. I still have it. It's 40 years old. I still have it. <laughs> but I so enjoyed him. But we calculated out what he did in the marathon. Of course, they've gotten faster since then, but I was more familiar with that. He would run a, a marathon, and at the t- time he was doing it, I believe he was coming in at uh, 205, 207, somewhere in, I don't remember the exact time. But if you calculate it all out, he's running about a five-minute mile pace for 26.2 miles. I mean, most people have a hard time running a five-minute mile pace. Now, beside that, there are people that are faster than that. Then they can they can run a mile now, even you know, pretty pretty quick, a lot faster than that. But then they don't go 25 miles after that. But this particular guy, he his main thing was he was fast. Everything if you find what is written about him, and we'll see it here in just a little bit, he is fleet of foot. Is what he is called. He is just fast. Uh, we're not going to probably get into this particular story, but he he is the first of these brothers to die. These are all these brothers are warriors. He's the first one to die, and the way, way that he dies is that Abner and Joab clash in battle. This is when David uh, is looking to take over all of Israel, and uh, Abner is, has his loyalty to the descendants of Saul, and they had battles, they had wars, and in this one battle. Asahel was chasing Abner, the commander of the army of the northern tribes. And he's chasing him. And so Abner hollers back to him. He said, is that you, Asahel? And this is why they're running. He's running away from him and he's running towards him. He's trying to, he's trying to kill the commander of the army. He's running after him. Yeah, it's me. He said, look, turn aside. Get somebody on your left. Get somebody on your right. Don't keep chasing after me. 
how can I face Joab if I kill you? And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't, he just kept pursuing. And so what happened was Abner finally took his spear. He turned around, planted his spear in the ground, and Asahel just ran right into the spear and died. Now Joab keeps this in mind. And later on down in the story, you're going to see that Joab will kill Abner in a very dishonorable way because he wants revenge for his brother. David had no part of it. David did not want it. And it actually hurt the kingdom some, but Joab didn't care. So, little, if you, if you read some of the chapters ahead, you will, you will get some of that. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. He was the fast one. In 1 Chronicles 2.13, Jesse begot Eliab, his firstborn, Abinadad the second, Shemiah the third, Nathaniel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Azem the sixth, David the seventh. Now their sisters were Zeruiah and Abigail, and the sons of Zeruiah were Abishai, Joab, and Asahel three. So that's the lineage of where they came from. I didn't write that in your outline, but it was First Chronicles two thirteen through sixteen. If you wanted it, so Abishai sees a God given opportunity, and he wants to take advantage of it with David. He wants to go in there. Let's take care of this thing. It is a God given opportunity, but it is not one for destruction. It's one for kindness. As Abashi, Abishai, he is looking at this as an opportunity to go in there and to take out our enemy. We didn't do it before. We can do it now. Now, have you ever had an opportunity to do something and you talked yourself out of it because you thought it was the good Christian thing to not do it? Anybody ever thought that? Well, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that because it would be a good Christian thing to just not do that, not walk in that way. Anybody ever thought that before? And you held yourself back. And after you didn't do it, the person that you didn't do something to turned around and did something even worse. Did you ever think, oh man, I, I let them off the hook. I could have been, I could, I should have, and you, you're telling yourself, boy, if I get that opportunity again, I'm not going to be so kind. And you get the opportunity again. Here it comes. And this is where, this is where, uh, Abishai is at. He's thinking, we let Saul off the hook. We showed Saul what we were made of, and Saul said, I won't come back and get you, and he did. So his blood is on his own head. We gave him mercy. We gave him kindness. And this is what he did. Not anymore. And he's pretty convinced that David is going after him. Because why would you sneak into the camp? He snuck into the camp. We are going to get this guy. That's what he's thinking. He's going in with the purpose, with the intent to kill Saul. David is not. But he is. So he doesn't tell them what the mission is. He just says, who's going to come? Now, believers can see God-given opportunities, but they let their flesh mess it up. Do you know Christians all the time get God-given opportunities in their life? And their flesh gets involved and they mess it up. I thought God was in this. I thought God gave me this opportunity. God did. Your flesh messed it up. You did the wrong thing. Actions of kindness come from an attitude of mercy. If you have an attitude of judgment, you're not going to have actions of kindness. 
Now, God is the God of mercy. He's also the God of judgment. You better make sure you have the heart of God as to which way he wants to go. Verse 7. So David and Abishai, I came to the people by night. And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please... He, 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 I want to do this. Oh, come on. David, please. Let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth. And I will not have to strike him a second time. I'll do it well, David. He won't get a sound out. We, I'll make sure one time. That's it. He will be dead. Just tell me. Now, Abishai I could do this on his own. He didn't. He submitted to David. David, you just give me the word and I'll do it. If there's any penalty to take, I'll take it. But we're going to get this guy out of your life. Now, God opportunities have a purpose. Temptation is to pull you from that purpose. When you get a God opportunity, there is a purpose behind the opportunity. When you walk in honor, you stay with the purpose. Dishonor is to follow after temptation and go in a direction your flesh wants. Something that will satisfy your flesh. Something that will satisfy vengeance. But David said to Abishai, I do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? He's actually helping Abishai out here. If I let you kill him, things are going to come down on you. You don't want that to come down on you. Don't do it. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives and the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die or he shall go out to battle and perish. Somehow he's going to be taken out. It's not going to be by me. Verse 11, The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. If a deep sleep from the Lord fell upon the soldiers who, I mean, they have a mindset to listen for them. Have you ever had a mindset that you listen while you're sleeping? Have you ever had to have that reason for that mindset that you, you need to be, you're in a strange place? And maybe you're tuned in a little bit more to the noises. Uh, a storm is coming through. And you want to be a little bit more tuned in to the, to the noises that are going on. Um, I remember one time when um, Christian was born. And my wife had a C-section, so she couldn't get up and, and do the things. And I was away on, on, the, on the road traveling. But when I was home, I was trying to make sure that if he stirred... If he needed something, that I was the one to be there to, to get up. And so my wife would tease me. She would, all the time, I would be there sleeping. And he would go, eh. And I'm up. <laughs> and I'm over there looking. He's fine. He's fine. Just let him go. I'm, I'm ready to jump on it. <laughs> That's, you, you, just, you just got tuned into that. Some, these are soldiers. They're tuned in to hear things. Because if you don't, you don't survive. You gotta listen. You gotta hear what's going on. So, all the soldiers, including the bodyguards, 
are so sound asleep, they don't hear the men coming in. They don't have, they don't have sneakers. They don't have the ones, you know, you can't go down to the, to the running shoe store and get the shoes with the really soft cushion and sneak up on, on any, no. They got sandals. And the sandals are on sand and, and rocks. How quiet can you be with sand and rocks? But they, 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 they walked in. Now David seems like he knows God is behind this. God seems to have sent him on a purpose. Sent him on a mission. And the mission seems to be, go get his spear and go get his jug of water. Because both are unique and they will know that we were in there. And so he does that. Does exactly what he's supposed to do. And the Lord put all, all, I mean imagine this, 3,000 select choice. These are the best of the best are with Saul right now. These are the most trained the most disciplined, and everyone is asleep. Everyone. That means they are vulnerable to any attack from any enemy because there is not a single person who is awake. That's not how it's supposed to be. They're supposed to have some guards who watch night. With everybody sleeping, laying down on the ground, this is not a real forested area. Got a lot of rocks, so it's pretty flat. And you should be able to see somebody sneaking up. No one sees David and Abishai. This is two people sneaking into the camp, getting up to him, and then having a conversation. Right there with Saul. I'm sure they're whispering, but they're still having a conversation. And Saul's just sleeping away. So they get these particular things. Verse 13. Now David went over to the other side. And stood on top of a hill afar off, a great distance being between them. So he got a good distance between there. See, David has this, this belief. And no matter what the temptation, he does not let it go. Who can stretch out their hand against the Lord's anointed, he says. Let God end his own disputes. If God has a dispute with the king he put in, let him end it. I'm not going to end it for him. Don't get involved. Just like if you're at work and two co-workers are having a battle. Don't get involved. I mean, is it going to go well if you get involved? If you decide, well, this one's right, then the other one's mad at you. A lot of times, unless God gives you direction, you just say, hey, this is your battle. Go, go figure it out. You just let them go. David says, God, you got a beef with him? For you to take care of. You put him into position, and you can take him out. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? So they were deeply asleep. He is far off. And he hollers out, Abner! So he didn't wake up with David sneaking into the camp, having the conversation right there with Saul. And then pulling the spear out and grabbing the, the jug. That doesn't wake him up. But when David gets afar off and he hollers out, Hey Abner! Then Abner 
answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. He has shown them, I can prove to you I was there. These things you cannot come to unless you are by the sleeping king. Because that was his his habit, taking that spear and putting it in. Not putting the, the spear's part down. You don't want to dull it dull it. You take the handle part, sharpen it, put it in the ground. David now has it. And he's got the water jug. We were all the way in there. If we took these things out, what more could we have done? But we didn't do it. But he addresses Abner. He doesn't call out to Saul because Abner was the guy who's supposed to be guarding him. He has the responsibility in way of guarding him. Who are the men that you put in charge? Where were you at when this was all going on? Now, this is an unusual thing. As head of the army, Abner seems very unfamiliar with David's voice. I did a, a little dive into the Word on some, some verses with Abner. I'm just going to read these to you. But in 1 Samuel 17, 55, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, this is against the giant, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. He didn't know who David was. Down in verse 57, Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before the Saul with the head of the Philistines in his hand. First Samuel 20 and 25, Now the king sat on his seat as at other times on the seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. So during that whole thing with the dinner, Abner is at the seat. How is it that Abner is so unfamiliar with David? He was there from the beginning when he came in and, and killed, the Goli- uh, killed Goliath and was part of the battle. He brought him to Saul. He apparently was at the dinner table with David, but somehow he doesn't know who David is. Saul does though. Verse 17, Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. How is it that Abner doesn't know his voice? I think it's one of the most unique things about God's creation. There are billions of people on the planet, but we can pick out people's voices. There's sometimes we'll we'll be watching one of those Hallmark shows and um, we hear... Uh, a certain actor comes on and we hear the voice. I know that voice. I, I know that. What, where, did, where have I heard that voice before? What did he play in? What did she play? I, I know, I know that voice. And you know, that's either a long time ago and maybe they were, they're a lot older now and they look different. But I know that voice. Have you ever had that happen? You, you, you just know the voice. And so I just pull up the Hallmark app. I'm looking out there, finding out what's his name. All right, and if you hit the right keys, you can find out all the stuff he's played in. Oh, yeah, and I'll say to my wife, oh, they played in it. That's what it was. You know, but we know the voice. We can hear the voice. 
Of course, when you are young and growing up and mom or dad call out, you know that voice, don't you? You could be in a busy mall somewhere and you could hear mom or dad call out that voice and, oh, I, I can't see them, but I can hear them. And you, you know it's that voice. How does God create all these people, each one with a unique voice? I think that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But he doesn't. And David's voice was unique. Abner should have been able to tell it was his voice. Saul could. How is it that Saul knew his voice? Abner doesn't know his voice. Who is this? Who wants to talk to the king? And then Saul has to get up there. David, is that you? I know that voice. Dave, uh, apparently Abner is just not as observant on some things than maybe he should be. And if you see how he dies, you can confirm that. But we're not getting into that story here. Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. You guys are chasing me out of the land. So now, do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. He's basically saying, King, I am insignificant compared to you. Why are you even bothering chasing me? What have I done? What am I capable of doing against you? If the Lord has stirred you up against me, then let me make an offering before him and appease him. But if it's people, if you've got people around you and they're stirring you up against me, let them be accursed. People can stir you up to a purpose that may seem to be good, but it's not of God. Don't let people stir you up. Learn to recognize the hand of God. People can get you, they start saying some things, they start doing some stuff. You know, we see this with the news media. The news media constantly wants to stir people to a cause, wants to constantly get people upset, wants to make people do certain things and a whole lot of riots and a whole lot of things have come about because of the irresponsible news media that we have. And they just aren't, they're, they're out there to stir people up, to stir up trouble. Don't let yourself be stirred up by people. This is what Saul's doing. Saul has some people there and they're saying some things about David. He's listening to them. And David is saying, look, there's, there's two things that are going on here. Either God stirred you up, let me make it up between me and God. That's between me and him. If not, it's people. And if it's people, you shouldn't let this go on. You're the king. You are the king. Why are you letting these peons Stand up there and, and stir you. You, yourself, people in the, that are born again, we are the children of the king. We are of the kingdom of light. How in blazes can we let people that are of darkness stir us up to a cause? I don't know how Christians can do it. We get stirred up to the cause of God. We get stirred up to the causes of the kingdom. Let this world mess with their own stuff. Don't get involved with it.
So David's message to Abner is this. You have lost perspective. You're not seeing the picture here. You stop doing what God called you to do. Most people who get stirred up to a cause of men or a cause for the kingdom of darkness have lost perspective. They cannot see what they are really doing. They have lost perspective. This is what David is saying about Saul. This is what David is saying about Abner because Abner is here along for the ride. Abner is the leader of the 3,000 men. He is just as much to, to, to be fought here. You've lost perspective. You're out here chasing me. You have a much greater cause. You have a much greater responsibility. God put in charge, put in your hand, the well-being of this nation. And here you are chasing after me. You've stopped doing what God called you to do is what he's saying. Just to put an end to the one you see as competition. You have used the office that God gave them to deal with personal problems. We've never seen that happen, have we? Presidents, people in leadership, using all the things at their disposal to take care of their own personal problems. <laughs> That's what David is, is accusing them of right here. Instead of Israel's problems, they're taking on their own personal problems. That's not what they're supposed to be using those things for. Verse 21, Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. People are telling him, David's going to come after you. David's going to take your kingdom. David's going to do this. And David is saying, You came into the cave. I didn't ask you to come into my cave. You came into my cave. I had opportunity. I didn't take it. Now, I snuck into your camp. The only way I did that was God put all you guys asleep. I snuck into your camp. I stood right by where you were sleeping. I took your stuff and I came back out. I could have done you harm if that was my purpose. But it's not my purpose, obviously, because two times I've already bypassed it. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. What a great blessing to, to throw out there, right? You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Now you look at this. Is God testing David? Is trying to, is God trying to see what David is made of here? Not certainly you could see that's uh that's an aspect of this. David let's before Saul stumbled into where you were, you just kind of came in that out of opportunity. Now I'm sending you. Go into the camp and do this. When I look at this, I think this whole mission that because God has a purpose. God is sending him on a purpose, put people to sleep. He has a purpose here. I think God is trying to give Saul another opportunity. Back 
off. If you don't back off, things are going to go bad. And he just tried to show him, David is not after you. You are listening to the wrong sources. Back off. He's trying to show the rest of the people, the 3,000 men that are there, who have been told a lie. David is after the king. We've got to do something. We've got to defend this king. And they're all ready to stand up and to fight against an enemy of the king. And here this enemy came in. They've never heard of an enemy coming in to a camp and sparing the guy, taking the jug of water and the spear. And David doesn't want to keep him. He says, send the young man over. It's a long distance. Don't want to make you work that hard, king. Just send the young men over. Sent the young man on over. Gave him his stuff. Take it on back. Every time that Saul should look at that spear, he should be thinking, David spared me. He could have killed me with this. David spared me. Every time he looked at that jug of water, he should have been thinking, David spared me. This is what should be going on. This is what should happen in the head of Saul. But people who buy into these kind of things, they don't, they don't stay with it forever. So Saul repents again. Yeah, we've heard this again. We've heard this before. Have you ever had people repented? I mean, with tears. Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I was thinking you meant evil for me. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Then they go and do it again. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You get a little skeptical, don't you? Yeah, how sorry are you? We're going to jump into the next chapter just for a few verses here. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in the part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the six hundred men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. It seems to indicate that maybe Saul would have come back after him again. Now we look at this and we think, is did David pass this test? Seems to be the second time he's come up with this. Did David pass this test? Well, he spared Saul. He accomplished the purpose of getting the spear and the jug. And he brought them back and he gave them back to, to Saul. There are some differences in this test. The first, for this one, David pursued Saul. David had a purpose. He didn't have a purpose in the last one. What do you want to do? I don't know what we're going to do. I guess we'll just cut off part of the robe. David accomplished his purpose and David did the right thing, but he reached the wrong conclusion. He reached a very wrong conclusion and a conclusion that would cost him. He decided that Saul is not going to relent to come after me and he will this is what he said in his heart he will eventually kill me does that sound successful to you see God called him to be king and because of this constant onslaught from Saul 
David has decided, if I stay here in the land of Israel, Saul will keep bringing people to me and eventually he's going to kill me. Is that a word from God? Is that consistent with what God has said? No, but it is easier. I think David is tired of this fight. He's tired of being chased. He's tired of people in Israel betraying him. And he just wants to get away from it. Now, if I go into the land of the Philistines, Saul won't pursue me there because he's afraid of the Philistines. So I'll go into the land of the Philistines. These are the people that David has battled, sl- killed. And as far as I know, he still has Goliath's sword. He's going to go into the Philistine territory with Goliath's sword. That's going to be kind of a rubbing their nose in it. Yeah, I'm the guy who beat your, your giant. I want to be on your team now. Hmm. The conclu- I put this in your outline for you. The conclusion we reach from experiences in life lead to what we will do, believe, and pursue. The conclusions that we reach from experiences in life lead to what we will do, believe, and pursue. So many Christians have reached conclusions based upon tests, based upon experiences, based upon things that they have been through. And those conclusions are so inconsistent with the Word of God. But they came to them. And what they do, what they believe, and what they pursue is a result of those conclusions. People go into the hospital, sick. Well, I know God doesn't want us to be sick, but I think God had a purpose in me being sick this time because when I went into the hospital, the person in the bed next to me, I was able to talk with them about God and they talk about the good things that came out. So God must have had a purpose in me being sick in order to accomplish that. I heard somebody, they ministered the, the, the most wisdom I've ever heard on that. They said, well, instead of going into the hospital sick, what if you went into the hospital well? And then had a conversation with them. How much better would that be? <laughs> See, we reach wrong conclusions. Well, God taught me a lesson when I had that sickness, so it must have been His purpose. And we reach the wrong conclusion. We go through a very traumatic time with people, work, whatever it might be. But in the end, it worked out okay. Well, God must have had a purpose for it. That's why this thing came about. No, most times, not all times, most times we disobeyed. We missed it somewhere. We didn't listen. We didn't heed the voice of God. We stepped out of walking in honor to walk in dishonor and we reaped the benefit of it. But God was able to turn what was meant for evil around for good. It didn't mean he had the purpose for the whole thing. It just meant he turned it, turned it around. We have to be careful of the conclusions that we reach, not just the experience itself. David was very careful all through this experience. He made sure he took the right person with him. He made sure he had God's purpose in what they were supposed to do. He listened to the voice of God and followed the voice of God and, and, and penetrated the camp, got what he was supposed to do, didn't do anything more and came out. And he was successful all the way up until the end. 
until verse 1 of chapter 27, he was completely successful in this. And then he comes to a wrong conclusion. What, God has kept you alive? God has exposed the plans of the enemy? God has put the army to sleep so you could walk into the midst of them? And, and God's not going to keep helping you? What are you drawing that conclusion from? You have to leave and go help out the enemy? But that's what he does. He's going to go over. He's going to live in the land of the Philistines for as many years as it takes until Saul dies. And he's going to tell, the, tell him, we're going to do what you want. We're going to fight for your side now. And so they give him the city of Ziglag. You're all familiar with that. In fact, I believe it was 2015, if you want to do some looking up. 2015, they found the site of Ziglag and they've been doing some excavation on it. What they found was a Philistine city with a colony settled on top of it that would have been David's. Of course, the city was burned and then it was not used after that. As far as I know, it wasn't used. But they have excavated it. I believe that started in 2015. And I think I heard that every year they send a new team down there and they they start up some, some new things. So maybe we'll see some more come out of there. But he came to the wrong conclusions. He goes over, he settles into this city, the city of Ziglag, and he performs raids. How many are familiar with the raids that David had? How many are not familiar with the raids that David had from Ziglag? Anybody not familiar with the raids that David did as a Philistine? He told the king, because the king would come to him and said, David, what have you been doing? Well, I've been raiding the southern area of Judah. And David wasn't raiding the southern area of Judah. He was raiding in the area of Amalek. He was raiding in a few of the other enemies of Israel. But because he was doing something different than what he was saying, he had to kill everyone in the city. That meant not just the men, that meant the women, that meant the children. Everyone had to die. And so when he would go in and he would raid the city, the village, the town, whatever it was that he would come to, they killed everyone. Now, if they were the people of the land that God had said, you shall go in and you shall, you shall slay them all. Don't leave, because they were so infected with idolatry, God knew if you leave them alive, they will bring that idolatry into you. They did not kill them all. And they did infect them with idolatry. And it caused them great trouble. If these were all people of that, but not all of them seemed to be. So David is now stuck in a position where he wants to be honorable. But if I act honorably and let certain people go, they'll tell what it is I've been doing. And what I'm doing will get out. So he comes to a wrong conclusion. Goes to a wrong place helps the wrong king and then has to misrepresent everything that he's saying and doing. And he gets into a lot of situations that were not good. Now we're going to jump ahead on this again because I don't think we're going to get into this. I'm going to, but if you want to read this, just keep on going for a couple more chapters. There's a particular story in which David was out on one of his raids and people came in to Ziglag and they burned it with fire, but they didn't follow the pattern that David had done. They took the women and children alive. 
But they took all their stuff and they burned the city with fire. When the men came back and they saw the city was burned with fire and the families were gone, they don't know that they're still alive yet, but they don't see any of the bodies around. They're hopeful. But they all, it says they wept till there was no strength in them. They're ready to mutiny with David. David sought after the Lord and the Lord said, no, they're still there. You can pursue them. And so they went out and they pursued him. And uh, God brought about a victory there. But you see, they never would have been in the position if he didn't come to the wrong conclusion right here. What happens sometimes when we're trying to live the life of honor is that we are real careful when we're going through what we perceive to be a test, what we understand to be a test. My faith is being tested. My patience is being tested. My zeal for the Lord is being, whatever it might be, I know I'm being tested. And we are very careful to make sure that we do the right thing all through the test. But it seemed like when the test is done, we kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, it's over. And then the enemy sows a thought. You know, David, Saul's not going to give up. He's going to keep pursuing you and eventually he's going to kill you. Oh, yes he is. I guess I'll have to do something about that. And the wrong thought sowed in him. He comes to the wrong conclusion and then he does some things He believes some things and he pursues some things that will be a problem for him down the road. Getting down even another another chapter later, the battle in which Saul dies. King Achish comes to David and said, David, you will fight with me. Now David is stuck. I'm supposed to be king over these people. He thinks I've been loyal to him and been killing people that are Israelites in the southern country of Judah that they all hate me. Because that's what he actually said. They all despise David now. He's mine forever. And so he doesn't give him a straight answer. He says, his answer, if you read ahead, you'll see this. You know what I can do. That's what he says. You know what I can do. He doesn't say he'll go with them or he won't. But then the rest of the, the lords of the Philistines say, we can't bring him. Uh-uh, he's going to turn on us in the middle of the battle. So they, they force David to stay. So David doesn't go into battle. But he is stuck in a position. Can you imagine if David has to go into the battle? How can you become king over the people that you just were fighting against? He was really put into a bad place. He should not have been in that place. But he came to wrong conclusions. Your life... In your life, you will have many experiences with God. You will have many things that God will bring you through. Some things God will say, I need you to go through this. I need you to go out here and do this. There will be tests that come through for you to come through, for you to, to stand on what you know. But after the test is done, after the experience is over, and you are laying on your bed at night and thinking about all that God just brought you through, the great victory that you had. You have to still be on your guard because the enemy is going to try and sow thoughts in your head about what just happened and what will happen. 
And just like David, you know, David, Saul's not going to let up. He repented now, but he already did that before. He's going to come after you again. And eventually, he's going to kill you. If you want to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish, you're going to have to do something different. And he moved himself out of where he was supposed to be because he thought this was better. Don't let the enemy bring you into an understanding of your experiences. We've said this over and over before, but our experiences do not bring light to the Word. The Word brings light to our experiences. I know many a minister, many a Christian, who have reversed that. Well, I know the Bible says this, but this is what I've experienced. This is what I've come to learn. Don't do that. The Word is our authority. If my understanding of any experience I have goes against what I know the Word says, then if I'm going to walk the life of honor, I go with what the Word says. This is what God's Word said to me. This is what God's Word commanded me to do. This is how God commanded me to behave. This is what I will do. And that voice will get louder. Yeah, but if you do that, they're going to come and they're going to do this again to you. My God is greater. Do what the Word says. Walk the life of honor. David is a great man of honor. He's a great one to look at, though, because we see his successes and we see his failures more than anyone else who walked this life. Because I can learn from success, but I can also learn from failure. David failed. He came through it. God brought him through it. But I'm sure when he's making that decision, what do you think is going on in heaven? No! Don't do that. Don't leave. I need you to stay here. I've got more to do. If David would have stayed there, what would have happened? Now look at what happened here. We had the first time the enemy comes after David. David is right there next to him. We have the first test in the cave. Here's the second one. Let me ask you this, can, and you won't be able to tell me for sure. Would there have been a third time that God would have delivered Saul into David's hand? I don't know. Because we don't have the opportunity to find out. David left. Just because you don't go through the test a third or fourth time does not mean you were successful. Because in David's case, all he did was take him out of the testing field. He removed himself from that place. And that couldn't happen anymore. Sometimes Christians want to say, well, I did this, I came through, and then I had these actions. It must have been right because I never faced that test again. That is wrong. Just because you did not face a test again does not mean that you were right. It does not mean that you were successful. doesn't mean you weren't. What means that you were successful is you know what the Word of God said to do and you did it. Look at the conclusion again that David came to. If I stay in the land, Saul will kill me. Is that trusting God? It is not. It is not. Now, if God said, like he did to Joseph in the New Testament, Joseph, take you and the family, the baby, get out of here. Because people are coming to seek their life. I want you to leave. He told them to leave. 
and they left. He's not telling that to David. He keeps telling them, go into the camp. He decided to go this direction. It is so important after you have been through a great experience, a great test, a great place where your faith was put on the line. It is so important what happens next. And for the most part, we as Christians, we relax afterwards and Christians can come up with some really weird conclusions about what just happened, what they went through, and what God wanted them to learn. You can come through a test just like David did, completely successful, head and shoulders above what anyone else would have done, and then after the test, think in your heart, I know this will happen if I stay here, if I do this. And you bail out of where God wanted you to be. To go to something different. Not easier, just different. David is now going to be living a life of lies. And he's always got to be wondering, did somebody get away? Is somebody going to come and tell Achish, we haven't been doing what we've been saying we've been doing? I mean, he's not killing Philistines. But he's not doing what he said he's been doing. And that has to weigh on David. Not to wait till we get to heaven. Sit on down and have a conversation with David. David, tell me, when you were in the land of Philistine, what was it like? What was going on? You have to wait until then to find that out. But in the meantime, be careful of the conclusions you come to. Don't just grab hold of them and just start shaping your, your opinion. Because what you do, what you believe, and what you pursue will be based upon those conclusions that you come to. And if those conclusions are wrong, I guarantee you, what you do, what you believe, and what you pursue after that will more than likely be wrong. It will be tainted. And it will affect your development as a Christian. But it doesn't have to be that way. Make sure you have some people in your life that you can sit down and say, boy, I just went through this experience. And this is what I'm thinking it taught me. And I hope you got a couple of those friends that will slap you upside the face. Man, you nut. How in the world could you think that? And just straighten you out. I mean, do it in love. You got, you got to have those people that you know, they can, they can just speak to you, be firm, and just, uh, do it because they love you. We don't want to see you go in the wrong direction. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Just passing the test, it's not enough. You want to come out with a strong understanding. If you want, if you want to come out with a, without a wrong understanding, avoid that wrong understanding. You got to stay with honor. You got to walk in the way of honor. Walk, pursue the honor we are called to. Pursue the honor that you are called to. Don't pursue anything else. Honor will continually grow. Just like faith, honor continually grows. When I walk in this level of honor, suddenly I can see another level of honor up here. Oh, I didn't even know I could do that in the area of honor. And you can learn, oh, I gotta, I've been saying things the wrong way. 
I've been dealing with things the wrong way. I need to be on this level. I couldn't see this level before. But I can see this level now. This is where I need to be walking. You get up there and you walk on that level for a little while and then all of a sudden, (gasps) there's another level. I didn't know that level existed. The more honor you walk in, the closer you are to understanding God. Not saying you fully understand Him, but the closer you are to understanding God. And the more you understand God, the more His Word will open up to you. The more honor you walk in, the more your eyes are open to what the Word is teaching you. This is in faith. The more our faith grows, the more revelation I can understand from the Word of God. But honor, you, you hit a new level. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know this was here. And then you walk in that level for a little while. And then all of a sudden, there's another level up over here. Didn't even see that one was there. Didn't even know there was anything more beyond this. And you walk in that one, and you can keep stepping up higher and higher until pretty soon you just say, I have no idea how many levels there are. Now, I thought maybe there might be five or six. Seems like there's a thousand. And you just keep on going up higher and higher and higher. And every time you go up higher, you will understand more of God than you did before. And God wants you to be in that place. That's why it's so important for Him that you learn the lessons He wants you to learn. Come to the conclusions He wants you to come to. Don't go off in the wrong direction. Father, I thank You for Your love for us. Even though we miss it, even though we step out and go in some directions we shouldn't do, even though we have come to some wrong conclusions about things you have brought us through, you are still right there with us. Just as you are with David and Ziglag, even though he shouldn't be there, he shouldn't be doing the things that he's doing right now, but you're still there with him. You're still there helping him. And in the same way, you'll still be there helping us. I thank you for it. Well, we want to come up to a higher level of honor, a higher level of faith, a higher level of understanding our God. And I thank you that you will lead us there. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.